Well, hello again. And as we said earlier, today in our talk, we're looking at spiritual well-being. And I have a little confession to make. When I saw what topic I was down to preach on in this series, my heart did sink a little because for me, spirituality seems like a very woolly subject. Um, Spirituality is a term I've never been able to fully pin it down. There isn't even a definition of it, actually. And when you ask people, it seems to mean anything from enjoying sunsets to doing yoga and meditation or uh, just thinking deep thoughts or being kind to animals. It can mean anything. And following lively discussions that we've had in my life group over the years, I'm well aware that different Christians have got different opinions on what the spirit of a person actually is and whether it's the same or whether it's different to your soul. But I prayed about this and from past experience, I know that topics that I don't initially want to preach on are often the ones where God takes me on a journey I need to go. And that's been true with this one. And I've realised that spiritual health, although it is connected with all the other areas of life that we're covering in this series, it is probably the most foundational one. And it's certainly the one which determines our eternal future. So it's well worth digging into and engaging with. So let's start by establishing as briefly as we can what God says about the spiritual nature of human beings. As our creator, he knows how he made us, so it's his opinion that counts after all. And even if you end up disagreeing with me about some of my interpretation of the Bible, at least you'll know what I'm talking about in the rest of this talk. So the Bible absolutely teaches from start to finish that all human beings have an immaterial, non-physical aspect to their being which survives after the body has died. Sometimes it seems to refer to this as our spirit, and sometimes it seems to refer to this as our soul. So in the Old Testament, it said that Jacob's wife, Rachel's soul was departing for she died. In the New Testament, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as he was dying, prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But at the most basic, our spirit or soul is the life force within us. We're told that when God created human beings from the inanimate elements of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So our spirit or our soul is also capable of thinking, understanding and perceiving things about the world or about ourselves or about God, the Bible says. It portrays our soul as capable of emotions like being troubled and downcast or cheerful and joyful. And it's also capable of relating to God, either in stubborn disobedience or in worship and in prayer and in loving submission. Overall, the Bible's picture of our soul and of ourselves is that there is a connectedness of our body, our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality and our spirit. And each affects the others in many different ways. 
Wayne Grudem makes the point that every action we take in this life is an act of our whole person, involving to some extent our body and soul. So our spirit could be, we could say, the sum of all our parts, which exists as part of our physical brain and our body, and yet mysteriously is more than that. It is our innermost being, our self. And I think that death is such an affront to us, partly because it's not what we were meant for, and partly because it means there's a temporary separation of our soul from our body, which, for believers, get reunited at resurrection just as they were for Jesus. So my working definition here is that to be spiritually healthy means that all of who we are is fully alive to God and the life that he has for us. Which brings us to our starting point for spiritual health. Spiritual health starts, logically enough, with spiritual birth. The bottom line is that you can't be healthy if you haven't been born. Before we come to faith, the Bible says, our spirit is in rebellion against God. Maybe not consciously, but in the sense that our life is considered ours to direct in isolation from God. In fact, the Bible goes to so far as to say that we are spiritually dead in the sense of not being in fellowship with God and being in a state of unforgiveness with him. So the only way to true spirituality is to be born again, spiritually this time, not just physically. People sometimes think that the term born again Christian is some kind of label for really, really earnest Christians who are a bit over the top about their faith. But actually, there has never been any Christian in the whole of history who has not been a born again Christian. How do I know that? Because Jesus says so. One night when he was here on earth, he was speaking to a genuine but very cautious seeker of the truth called Nicodemus. And he told him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is the flesh and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. And one of Jesus' followers, John, later summed it up by saying that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So it's simple, but not easy. It starts with becoming aware that God has reached out to you in love by coming as a man to die and come back to life so that you and I can stop being one of the living dead. There's a zombie rom-com, which I have a bit of a soft spot for, called Warm Bodies, in which a zombie gradually becomes human again through falling in love. It's a slightly gruesome Valentine's Day film to cuddle up on the sofa with, but it's a picture of what happens to us when we get reanimated by the Holy Spirit and when we receive a whole new life but this time by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. 
Now, if you become pregnant, you get to hear a whole load of birth stories from other mums. Uh, not always helpful at the time. And you realise that each birth is different. Some are relatively quick and painless. Others are a bit traumatic and long drawn out. So if you are on a journey of exploring faith, remember that your journey to birth may be different to others, but that every result is the same. A squawking baby who is just beginning a lifetime of learning how to live the life they've been given. It's a precious gift, just like the gift of salvation. Ephesians says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when we raised Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed. I've just had a happy thought that if the pop star Justin Bieber's fans call themselves believers, then that means that I, as a follower of Jesus, could call myself a bejeezer. I'll just leave that little gem with you. I'm sure it will catch on and you're welcome. And let's move on swiftly. So the second thing is that when we've been born, we have to grow. And spiritual health always comes from the inside out. We know for ourselves that there are no shortcuts to physical health. It's possible to look good on the outside, but to have a ticking time bomb of a health problem on the inside. In spiritual terms, that can happen to us if we lose touch with God and start living on autopilot. And then prayer just becomes working our way through a list of things that we think we need or want. Reading the Bible becomes just an intellectual exercise or an occasional duty. Going to church can become a habit that we just do on a Sunday morning. And it's not a speaker or a worship leader that we like, then we might give it a miss. Serving becomes a chore that we feel obliged to do. And telling people about Jesus becomes something that we can leave out altogether because we can leave that up to the evangelists. It is possible to maintain appearances for quite some time so that nobody else knows that we are shriveling inside except ourselves. And we occasionally take a quick peek and then hurriedly put that curtain back. This is not the life and health that God intends for us. It is very far from what Jesus invited us to when he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Water brings life. My father was Egyptian and I'm always struck when I look at maps of Egypt at that little thin strip of green running right down through the country. It's the life that is brought by the River Nile. And it's even more striking when you see it in person. Fields of sugarcane, cotton and other things looking green and healthy on either side of the banks of the river. And they just stop and become desert wherever the irrigation channels stop. 
the Holy Spirit is the life of Christ in us. And the aim of all our Christian habits and living is to have more of this life released in us in order for it to flow on out into the world. If you're struggling to connect with God right now, and I think quite a few of us are, don't give up on those habits, but do what you need to do to seek more of the Spirit's life being released in you. Whether it's seeking prayer from other people, making space to allow God to minister to you and fill you back up, or whether it's practising thankfulness as a way of growing trust in you that leads to peace overflowing into your life and love growing in your heart towards other people. Francis Schaeffer, who experienced his own crisis of faith at one point in his life, took months out to wrestle with God. And he said after that, that he discovered that there are oceans of grace that await. Orchard upon orchard waits, vineyard upon vineyard of fruit waits. There is only one reason why they do not flow out through the Christian's life, and that is that the instrumentality of faith is not being used. This is to quench the Holy Spirit. And when we sin in this sense, we sin twice. We sin in the sin of quenching the Holy Spirit. And this is terrible, as it is against the law and the character of God himself, our Father. But at the same time, we sin by omission, because we have not raised the empty hands of faith for the gift that is there. Claim the promise of God for rivers of living water to flow through you by faith. We only have to be in personal communion with him and believe that in God and his promises in this moment and moment by moment. There is no mechanical formula for spiritual health. But if you can believe God in this moment, then you can be spiritually healthy. Spiritual health grows, I believe, in proportion to spiritual hunger. Are you hungry for God? We can sometimes lose our way with spiritual health, I think, because we are not focused on God but on ourselves. Jonah, a prophet in the Old Testament, experienced this big time. He was a man who'd been called by God to deliver messages to the people of his day. Now, when that was an upbeat message of prosperity for Israel, he was quite happy. But the cracks started to show when God told him to go and preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Israel's traditional enemies, the Assyrians. Jonah chose to run, or sail in this case, literally in the opposite direction. And when he eventually did what God asked of him, and God in his mercy forgave the Ninevites, Jonah sulked like a toddler having a right royal paddy. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "'O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? I can almost imagine him with his hand against his brow as he complains. Jonah's problem was not that he hadn't experienced God's mercy and his saving power in his own life. He had. Or that he couldn't hear voice, God's voice. He could. Or that he had, didn't have a spiritual gift. He did. Or that he didn't know about God's character. He was able to describe it perfectly. His problem was that he had let himself remain fundamentally untouched by those things. His heart was not aligned with the heart of God and he was not hungry for God himself. John Ortberg, the Christian pastor and author, says of himself that my main job is to remain connected to God. And St. Irenaeus, centuries ago, said, The glory of God is a human being fully alive, and to be alive consists in knowing God. Even as Christians, we can set our own priorities, form our own values and seek our own plans. We can run away from God's promises and plans like Jonah did, or we can try to make them come true in our own time and energy. But if we are hungry for God above all else and make ourselves available to him, we will see him provide the things we need without chasing after them. As Jesus promised, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Finally, I think spiritual health is best served by a personalised programme. My husband loves running and cycling. I don't. The only exercise I like is swimming and walking. And if you tell me I need to get fit by running and cycling, it won't happen. Full stop. So if there's one piece of advice that I would give to you, if you want to be spiritually healthy, it's to recognise that you and I are unique individuals created with specific personality types. And find the ways of connecting with God that help you. Spiritually, I have accepted at the grand old age of 57 that I am not and never will be a Bible in a year kind of a gal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, there are some very helpful programs out there which many, many Christians have followed. And they help you to read through the Bible. And it includes reading several chapters of the Bible every day for a year. Now, I have started these programs so many times, trying to sit down in the mornings and have my quiet time and do them because I know it's good for me. And I now realise that the reason I have never managed it is not because I do not love God enough. It's because, A, I don't connect well with God through covering large chunks of scripture in, in 20 minutes. I hear God speak to me best, either through a small portion of scripture or through giving myself a, a luxurious few hours to do a leisurely, in-depth exploration of a book of the Bible. B, I'm a person who likes variety, not routine. And I find doing the same type of Bible reading every day at the same time 
boring and unstimulating. And C, I'm a night person, not a morning person, and menopause has only made me more of a blurry-eyed disaster in the mornings. So find your own ways of connecting with God's living word and having a conversation with him, of letting the spirit flow through you. If you don't read well, listen to the Bible or watch it instead. If you fall asleep when trying to pray, do it when you go for a walk instead. Diary in a Zoom prayer time with your friends and then have a quiz. Susanna Wesley, who had a really large family, used to throw her apron over her head uh, and tell her multiple children not to bother her for 10 minutes because she was talking to God. I have found that paying attention to God through my day with little one-sentence prayers and giving myself permission to stop and recenter myself on God when things are getting a little bit out of control have also really helped me. It doesn't matter how you do it, just do it. And don't beat yourself up for not being someone else. So as I finish... I do believe that God has abundant spiritual life and health for each one of us and for all the bejesus out there. And I think he would just ask us one question. How much do you really want it and how much do you want me?